Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome to Are You For Real? Reverse Style. My name's Grant, and with me as always is Tom. That is darn right. And we got a humdinger for you guys today. Um, before I, I slap it over to Tom for the uh, the main topic, again, we're doing a reverse style, so uh, Tom's going to be reporting. And I'm going to be asking dumb questions. So uh, <laughs> I, I believe we have one that I'm not familiar with too much at all. So uh, it's going to should be interesting for everybody involved. Um, but uh, before that, hang I'm, on just a sec. Uh, wait, wait, Grant, did huh? do you hear that? What? I thought I heard no, something. You got like a zoom error? No, no, is it? It sounds like we got some UFO news from Grant. That's right. Um, and actually, this is, uh, I don't know if you heard about this. Uh, it's not necessarily UFO news, but I, I would say it's UFO related news. Um, I think the original story. Uh, I'm getting a spinning wheel here while I'm trying to pull it up. This will take just a second. Uh, but yeah, the original story, I think this dropped like four weeks ago. Let me see what the date is on here. And this was reported by the New York Post. I don't know if they're a reliable journal or not. <laughs> Tom's making the uh, no, they're not reliable. I don't think but, so. Uh, they have some hilarious headlines. They're they're the fact, yeah, like they were they were the ones who were calling uh, Michael Jackson wacko jacko. I remember. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, that sounds it, about right. I think they're the, they're a tabloid and not in like. Uh, uh, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. The um, wait, I'm getting a video playing here that's putting creepy music in here. It would be nice for the pod if you guys could hear it. All right. Um, so yeah, actually, I I I've got a follow up uh, article from Forbes as well, but um, and I thought they said that uh, geez, I'm getting hit by pop ups now, so seems like a good news site. Um. So yeah, the Forbes article is saying this happened. This came out a few weeks ago, but um, I'm getting the date here is May 19th, 2020. Um, this is written by Yaron Steinbuch, Steinbuch. Again, a name that I don't know how to pronounce. Of course, <laughs> I know how to pronounce lots of names, but I keep coming across new ones here. Um, but the uh, headline here, this might be kind of wacky. It's NASA scientists, not NASA, NASA scientists detect evidence of parallel universe where time runs backward. You heard about this? I did hear about this. I was too scared to click on it because I didn't want to get sucked into a reverse time vortex, but I'm glad you clicked on it, Grant. So like I said, uh, yeah, the um, not directly UFO related, I guess, but um, obviously a lot of ufology deals with uh, parallel dimensions and uh, a lot of theories about how these are actually beings from another dimension. You're darn tootin'. Not from our universe, but um, now I got to say I I don't really understand particle physics that well, and um, a lot of this I just like, which is what is dangerous about this when they make this crazy uh claim. Some of it doesn't really seem to add up to me that well, like how they got B from A, you know. Well, do they use the word quantum a lot in there? Um, I don't because know. Well, let me do, because if they do. Uh, I'm not going to understand any of it. Right. Well, well, let me, let me share it. Let me show you something. It's, uh, 
In a scenario straight out of the Twilight Zone, a group of NASA scientists working on an experiment in Antarctica have detected evidence of a parallel universe where the rules of physics are the opposite of our own, according to a report. Um, you know what NASA stands for, right? Yes, I do. National Aeronautics and Space Administration. Well, in ufology, it stands for never a straight answer. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> So back to uh, Mr. or Mrs. or Mr. Steinbook, Steinbook. Um, the concept of a parallel universe has been around since the early 1960s, mostly in the minds of fans of sci-fi TV shows and comics. But now a cosmic ray detection experiment has found particles that could be from a parallel realm that also was born in the Big Bang, the Daily Star reported. Oh, maybe the Daily Star was the original ones that reported this. Um, so the experts used a giant balloon to carry NASA's Antarctic Impulsive Transient Antenna, or ANITA, high above Antarctica, where the frigid, dry air provided the perfect environment with little to no radio noise to distort its findings. A constant, quote-unquote, wind of high-energy particles constantly arrives on Earth from outer space. Uh, Low-energy subatomic neutrinos with a mass close to zero can pass completely through Earth, but higher-energy objects are stopped by the solid matter of our planet, according to the report. That means the high-energy particles can only be detected coming, quote-unquote, down from space. But the team's Anita detected heavier particles, so-called tau neutrinos, which come, quote-unquote, up out of the Earth. What? The finding implies that these particles are actually traveling backward in time, suggesting evidence of a parallel universe, according to the Daily Star. Maybe it's Principal- just like a strong breeze in the opposite direction, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's just like your, your opinion, opinion, man. man. Uh, Principal Anita investigator Peter Gorham an experimental particle physicist at the University of Hawaii suggested that the only way the tau neutrino could behave that way is if it changed into a different type of particle before passing through the earth and then back again. Gorham, lead author on a Cornell University paper describing the odd phenomenon, noted that he and his fellow researchers had seen several of these impossible events, quote unquote, which some were skeptical about. Quote, not everyone was comfortable with the hypothesis, he told New Scientist. The simplest explanation for the phenomenon is that the is that at the moment of the Big Bang, 13.8 billion years ago, two universes were formed, ours and one that, from our perspective, is running in reverse with time going backward. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe we're the ones going backwards, man. Maybe they're the ones going forwards. That's, that's all based on perspective, I would say. Um, and keep in mind, that's the simplest explanation. So. Okay, yeah. Uh, I- my head's already like going right, in reverse right, right now. <laughs> well, of course, if there are any inhabitants of a possible parallel universe, they'd consider us the backward ones. So, hey, you got it. Um, quote: We're left with the most exciting or most most boring possibilities. End quote. Said <laughs> Ibrahim Safa, who also worked on the experiment. And that's the end of the that article. I think I think I went to the original one originally, but. Um, the Daily Star one, but then it like kicked me out because I could I was only allowed to read it once. Um, yeah, that one gets a lot more technical. I mean, a few things occur to me on this, and like I said, I've got a Forbes follow up that kind of dismisses this as uh as the internet or mass media just blowing their finding way out of proportion. Like first of all, like how do you see a particle from a if it's in a parallel universe or dimension, then 
how is it showing up on our sensors? That's a, a big question for me. Well, I think they probably can explain that to us, but it wouldn't be in terms we can understand. That's the problem. Yeah, that that's what I assume too. So anyway, so yeah, I guess there's at the Big Bang apparently at least two uh, opposite universes as far as time is concerned uh, formed. Well, so, this uh, I mean, at least, you know, there's conclusive proof for Bizarro Superman now. It's not just yeah. uh, and Bizarro Jerry from Seinfeld. <laughs> or Tau, Tau Superman. Um, I guess uh, I don't know if it really got into it on this article because I was just reading it and not really paying attention to what I was saying. But um, <laughs> the, uh, the big thing is that like gravity would act in an opposite way in this dimension, you know. So I don't really see how intermittent interdimensional beings would be able to function in our in our universe much like we wouldn't really be able to function in in a universe well, where gravity they, acted backwards but unless maybe, they mastered gravity or something like that you know well maybe if they uh once they bounce into our universe since the rules of gravity are the opposite they they still apply to them but just in opposite ways Right, so if it's equal and opposite, then I don't know. It, maybe it wouldn't have like a disastrous effect on him. Yeah, that's I, true. I mean, like, it's not like they have no gravity and we have tons of gravity. It's, it seems like they would have proportionally the same amount of gravity if it's parallel. That's true, but I mean, I don't know. How could we? <laughs> I think we're way in over our heads on this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, we're going to do a gravitational theory here, but um, sure. We must does, not be afraid to speculate. I mean, if we were in a dimension where where mass actually pushed things away as opposed to pulled things in with gravity, then um, I don't know. It just seems like it would be very hard on me. Very difficult. Yeah, me too. Um, well, let me see. So then, like I said, there is a follow-up article here that I found. Uh, this was written May 21st, 2020, or it was posted May 21st. Um, and it's by Jamie Carter, which I like that name. That one I can figure out, unless it's Jamie. But um, so has NASA found a parallel universe, quote, where time flows backwards? The truth behind the headlines. See? Forbes is going to give it to us straight here. Um. God, all these pop-ups here. So, no, this article has been updated to include details of the research paper that discusses the CPT symmetric universe where time would run backwards from the Big Bang. I didn't mean to read that, but there you go, folks. Um, so, the Internet has done it again. Today, it abounds with stories from tabloids like the New York Post, Express, and the Daily Star, mostly quoting each other, that major on claims that NASA scientists have evidence that could prove the existence of parallel universes. It's all way overblown and misrepresents what the research in question is about. Scientists actually found evidence, signals of fundamental particles that must defy, that may defy our current understanding of physics. It might even just be an issue of how particles interact with ice. To be clear, there is zero evidence of what the Daily Star says is a parallel universe right next to ours where all the rules of physics seem to be operating in reverse. Here's what Ibrahim Safa of UW-Madison, who was a lead author on a research paper about the experiment in question in Antarctica, thinks about the current spate of news stories that associate his research with evidence for a parallel universe. NASA has discovered that y'all should all should not be getting your news from the New York Post. <laughs> that's, that's what he said. <laughs> that's what he said? 
Yeah, so cool. I guess the, I guess a lot of the alarm bells that were ringing in my head when I read these claims was like, I don't know, man. Uh, I guess the scientists that are that understand this stuff is kind of saying the same thing. So, well, you know, it was ringing in my head that Red Hot Chili Peppers song where he's like, deep inside of a parallel universe. You know that one? No, I don't. Okay. You're not down with the RHCP. Uh, I know. I used I mean, to be. Under the bridge. I used, I used to be. Give it away. Give it away. Give it away now. Yeah. I used to be way down. But, eh. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, hey. They were pretty big when I was in uh, in grade school, so blood sugar There's, sex magic was very formative to me. And me too, man. And I love uh, John Frusciante's guitar playing, and he's got a lot of cool videos. He, he seems like a cool guy, but never trust a junkie. That's what I've learned. Well, I guess he's better now. I hope. I don't, I don't mean to be slammed him. I'm just trying to be entertaining. But uh, anyway, the mini many articles now online appear to be rooted in a six week old story published by the new scientist in what the admittedly alarming headline we may have spotted a parallel universe going backwards in time is backed up by a well-written and thought-provoking article about some puzzling results from studies conducted in antarctica of cosmic rays high energy charged particles arriving from outside earth's atmosphere along with some far out what if musings about the hard to explain origins of these particles through the parallel universe chat and it's got some links to some scientific papers that it's related to, so that, that might be interesting. Again, these are all going to be on the show notes as, as usual. Um, and then it, after it talks about these papers, it says, however, the only real conclusion is that the standard model concerning neutrinos, fundamental particles, doesn't explain the direct detection of a rare kind of event by Anita. Anita's events are definitely interesting, but we're a long ways away from even claiming that there's any new physics, let alone an entire universe, said Safa. Hmm. And it gets into Anita and stuff, um, what Anita found. Um, they, you know, Anita detected some signals best described as anomalous, evidence of a high-energy particle, extremely high-energy neutrinos coming up from the Earth's surface, but no source. That seemed impossible, according to the New Scientist article, which went on to state that explaining the signal requires the existence of a topsy-turvy universe created in the same Big Bang as our own and existing in parallel with it. In this mirror world, positive is negative, left is right, and time runs backwards. The press release about the research paper also mentions that other explanations for the anomalous signals, possibly involving exotic physics, needs to be considered. Scientists at the Ice Cube Neutrino Observatory then tried to search for the source of those signals of intense neutrinos. Me neither! <laughs> I was going to say. Me neither! <laughs> I can't continue that. Can't we can't continue that. If you guys want to know more about NWA, please uh, send us an email at argueforreal.com. I didn't know Ice Cube was was researching neutrino uh, research, though. But um, anyway, it goes into the Ice Cube Neutrino Observatory. Apparently, Ice Cube's been funding this kind of science for the last 15 years. Uh, with uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's um. I think it's just a coincidence that it's called Ice Cube. Um, so anyway, the uh, you know I don't want to dwell on this too much, but the academic paper concluded that the results from the check on Anita detections using Ice Cube polished in the paper 
Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, using Ice Cube published in the paper concludes with phrases like inconsistent with a cosmogenic interpretation and new physics and is summarized thus. An astrophysical explanation of these anomalous events under standard model assumptions is severely constrained regardless of source spectrum. Correct translation. We don't yet know where these signals come from. Incorrect translation. These high energy neutrinos came from a parallel universe. So eh, I can see that. I mean, they try. They're they're in the business of selling papers, you know. Uh, yeah. And by selling papers, I mean getting clicks these days. Uh, so and uh, you know, this is this is the kind of stuff that is fundamental to our understanding of life. So it's important, and I think it's important for lay people such as ourselves to be able to understand it. Uh, but it's disingenuous when. Um, uh, when they run headlines like claiming that things are from a parallel universe when that's not what the evidence has shown us yet. Yeah. Well, it looks like Jamie Carter's giving it the big stink eye. Jaime. It's actually Jaime yeah. Carter. So. <laughs> um, Jaime Cartier. But he, uh, yeah, he's got, he's getting pretty sassy in this article. Well, but uh, so that's, Cartier. <laughs> that's the news for for a while. It looked like there was definitely parallel universes that were acting. Or um, acting on our universe somehow, and then Forbes is saying, "Nah." Well, I would like to meet parallel me, so I could be like, uh, "Hey, I can see up your nose." <laughs> yeah, how would that work with uh, if someone has a mustache in this universe? Do they just not have a mustache in the parallel universe? Yeah, they actually have opposite hair everywhere. So they have oh, really? hair everywhere except for their eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. So They're like and, and, and instead of hands, they have not hands. Uh, they just have an absence of hands. And where their hands should be, it says no hands. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up for me. Yeah, it's science. <laughs> so well uh well what do you got for us today you want man? me to take it away i'll take it away now take it away i say okay um well uh first and foremost i have to give my my normal tom shout out to every every one of you guys who's listening and uh hanging in there we're recording this on may 25th 2020 and uh we have just surpassed a hundred thousand deaths here in the united states uh, from the COVID-19 uh, virus. Yay! Uh, a new record. Yeah, it sucks. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a bummer. So I feel like, uh, once again, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that, and I hope all of you guys are, are safe. Is the, is the U.S. still number one in those numbers, though? or I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I just know that there's... Uh, over 100,000 now. That's so, a big statistic. So. It's hard to it's hard to picture or wrap your mind around those kinds of numbers, you know. Yeah, it is, and I think um, the New York Times actually ran an article uh, with the names and like a real quick background on several thousand of the hundred thousand, oh. but it's uh, all in super tiny print. So anyway, uh, I just I saw saw a headline about that, but I didn't want to click on it. And, Get yeah, it's, out, basically. It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, that's just what's happening right now. So, uh, again, I hope all of you are safe in America and throughout the world. 
we really appreciate all of you listening to us. And yeah. um, you could have been anywhere in the world tonight, but you chose to be here with us. And we appreciate that. So stay safe. And uh, so this next case was suggested by a person named Jeff who emailed us uh, suggesting that we look into the disappearance of Frederick Valentic. Uh, thank you. Yes. And so I just wanted to say thank you, Jeff, for listening. And uh, this is actually a case that, surprise, surprise, I saw on Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> it is you actually, did, huh? Okay, cool. Uh, yes. It is actually in Season 6, Episode 2 of Unsolved Mysteries on Amazon Prime. If you guys want to watch the, uh, the Unsolved Mysteries take on this case, this is um, a case that happened in Australia. And uh, I know we actually have quite a few listeners in Australia. So hopefully this is uh, as interesting to you guys as it was to me, if not more so. Um, this happened quite a while ago. Uh, and there is some conflicting reports about what happened. But I'm going to do my best to cover all of it and inform Grant at the same time because, as Grant mentioned, he is not too uh, familiar with this case. So. Right. I kind of skimmed it on the email, but, um, yeah, I'm interested to learn more about it. So uh, I did some some research on this topic. Most of it was from the Unsolved Mysteries episode. Um, some of it was from – uh, Skeptical Inquirer magazine. We'll have links to all the research in the show notes for you guys to peruse. There's a couple photographs you can take a look at as well. Awesome. So, uh, so did they? They did a whole episode on it on unsolved they mysteries. Did. They did. Oh wow. Okay. Cool. Not, not an entire episode. They did a whole segment, uh, about a fit, 10, 15 minute segment on it. So uh, it's pretty neat. It seems pretty um, mysterious from what I remember. So yes. And, and uh, to all all of our dear friends in Australia, I am going to an attempt an Australian accent for the transcript of this flight thing. So I mean, no offense. I just want to try and give some, uh, some substance to this. Uh, oh man, I can't wait to hear this. So um, anyway, here we go, guys. My name's Tom and this is the disappearance of Frederick Valentic. Valentic. It's Valentic. That's what it is. Uh, <laughs> so I got this from fandom.com. I found this to be a pretty good summary of it so far. So uh 20 year old, Australian pilot Frederick Valentic had been flying for two years, accumulating over 150 hours of solo time. He was employed by Southern Air Services from Moorabbin, Australia. That's M-O-O-R-A-B-B-I-N, Australia. It's Moorabbin, mate. Yep. Moorabbin. He had dreams of one day becoming a commercial pilot. But at 6.19 p.m., on October 21st, 1978, Frederick took off from Robin Airport near Melbourne in a Cessna 182 light aircraft. Valentic planned to fly west for 40 minutes along the Australian coast. Now, it, and my understanding is this is on the southern end of Australia. Uh, just for all you non-Australians like me, this is a... Uh, uh, this is on the very south, uh, south of Melbourne, in fact. Uh, at Cape Oddway, Valentic planned to head south over Bass Strait toward King Island. It was a route that he had flown many times before. On the Unsolved Mysteries broadcast, Ken Llewellyn, 
A senior PR officer for the Royal Australian Air Force stated, It was a very straightforward flight, and I can see no reason why it shouldn't have been concluded successfully. What happened three quarters of an hour into that flight, I think will be one of the great mysteries of Australian aviation. Well done. Thanks. Uh, Well, we'll let you Australians be the judge of that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) However, while flying over Bass Strait near Cape Otway, he sighted what seemed to be a UFO flying nearby in the vicinity. Upon seeing the object, he maintained radio contact with his airfield for several minutes, describing the object as it darted and swerved around him. The object appeared to be green and long-shaped, according to Valentic. He stated that it was traveling at speeds faster than he had ever seen before. The air traffic controller believed that Frederick was afraid of the object. At one point, the object was stationary, hovering above his plane. Then all of a sudden, the object disappeared. Stephen Roby, the air traffic controller, said on Unsolved Mysteries, he wasn't to the point where he was panicking, but he was genuinely concerned by what he saw. He was worried. He sounded confused. Then he described what the aircraft was doing, and I became concerned too. A few seconds later, the Oops, object... Were they able to track it? They, they weren't able to track it on radar or anything like that then, huh? Uh, no, they weren't showing... Uh, they didn't show anything on radar. There was okay. no, yeah. Uh, and Valentic actually asks about that. I'm going to get into the transcript here in a bit. Okay. I don't want to jump ahead. I'm sorry. But uh, yeah, what uh, what year was this? Again? This was 1978. So this was okay. a while ago. Okay. Um, three years before I was born, actually. Um, okay. Uh, a few seconds later, the object returned from the southwest. Uh, suddenly, Valentic's engines started malfunctioning. Finally, he stated, it's hovering, and it's not an aircraft. These were the last words that the air traffic controller heard from Valentic. After that, Roby heard several mysterious clicking noises for 17 seconds. Then he heard no more noises from Valentic or Valentic's aircraft. Frederick Valentic was never seen or heard from again. And I actually came across a transcript of the actual exchange, which was obtained by Skeptical Inquirer magazine in 2013. Oh, cool. So um, I'm actually not going to do the accent for this because that's too much effort, and I don't want to butcher it. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. So um, We want to respect the dead here, too, or the disappeared. And this is a a 20-year-old guy that lost his life, so I don't seem like i'm mocking him i was going to do an accent but i made a game changing or a game time decision to not do that uh so uh here is um the transcript of the last uh kind of i don't know exactly the time frame but um it's it starts with valentic contacting uh roby who is the air traffic controller valentic is there any known traffic below five thousand meaning feet. Roby, no known traffic. Valentic, I am, there seems to be a large aircraft below 5,000. Roby, what type of aircraft is it? Valentic, I cannot affirm. It is four bright, it seems to me like landing lights. The aircraft has just passed over me at least a thousand feet above. Roby, roger, and it It is a large aircraft? Confirm. 
Valentic. Uh, unknown due to the speed it's traveling. Is there any Air Force aircraft in the vicinity? Roby. No known aircraft in the vicinity. Valentic. It's approaching right now from due east towards me. It seems to me that he's playing some sort of game. He's flying over me two, three times at a time at speeds I could not identify. Roby. Roger. What is your actual level? Valentic. My level is four and a half thousand. Four five zero zero. Roby. And confirm you cannot identify the aircraft. Valentic. Affirmative. Roby. Roger. Stand by. Valentic. It's not an aircraft. It is... Roby. Can you describe the uh, aircraft? Valentic. As it's flying past, it's a long shape. Cannot identify more than... It is... It's before me right now, Melbourne. Roby. And how large would the uh, object be? Valentic. It seems like it's stationary. What I'm doing right now is orbiting. And the thing is just orbiting on top of me also. It's got a green light and sort of metallic, like it's all shiny on the outside. It's just vanished. Would you know what kind of aircraft I've got? Is it military aircraft? Roby. Confirm the uh, aircraft just vanished. Valentic. Say again. Roby. Is the aircraft still with you? Valentic. It's now approaching from the southwest. The engine is rough idling. I've got it set at 23, 24, and the thing is coughing. Roby. Roger. What are your intentions? Valentic. My intentions are uh, to go to King Island. Uh, Melbourne, that strange aircraft is hovering on top of me again. It's hovering, and it is not an aircraft. Then there's silence for 17 seconds with audible, unidentified staccato clicking noise. And that's the end. Yeah. I've heard – I'm sure you'll get into some theories about what what happened. But, yeah, that's that's a crazy uh, transcript there. Yeah, kidding. Um, As I mentioned, I saw it on Unsolved Mysteries, and – I would recommend everyone watch watch the episode. I'm sure it's sensationalized, and you know the the reenactment is pretty cheesy and everything like that. But I remember putting myself in Mr. Valentic's sh- shoes uh, and thinking how terrified I would be in a tiny little Cessna if there was something playing uh, chicken with me up there in the air. Right, right. Um, I received that. Yeah, anyway. I felt pretty vulnerable. Um, yeah. With nothing, no one around to help you. That's for sure, and you're. Up in the air. Um, the uh, it kind of reminds me. I don't know if you remember on the uh, unidentified show when they were talking about the fishing, like the planes going out to spot uh, spot fish for the fishermen uh, down in Mexico, and then some of them they frequently saw UFOs there too, and like the guy saw a light turn on and just like start heading towards them or whatever. Oh God! In the, yeah, in the that's... middle of the night, basically. Was was this in the evening or? This was, yeah, it was um, 6.19 p.m. And uh, the way they the way they depict it on Unsolved Mysteries um, and the way some of the photograph, like I'll get into the photograph thing in a bit too. Um, uh, it looks like it's it's around sunset, around dusk, I guess. So it's not it's not pitch dark, but it's definitely not uh, not daytime either. The, the way he describes the behavior reminds me a lot of stories I've heard about, like Foo Fighters and stuff like that right, too. You right. know? 
um, almost yeah, it's, it's, just it's like playing back. around or testing the capabilities of, or just kind of showing off. Like you, you hear that all the time, right? Like just right. flying circles around craft and, uh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. All right. So after that, Although I've uh, never heard of, um, like directly just like, I mean, assuming that they turned the, the jet off or the engine off or whatever, or messed with it mechanically. Like I've never heard anything right. malicious like that. Or well, just assuming uh, it's assuming it was deliberate on the, on the object right. part. Um, so an extensive water search began for Valentic and his plane. Uh, however, no trace of either was found at that time. Um, later, a witness who asked to remain anonymous came forward. He claimed that he was traveling with his family when they noticed unusual activity in the sky. The witness claimed to have seen a lime green light flying about 100 feet above a small aircraft. The light and the plane flew closer to each other before disappearing from the witness's view. Uh, the way that's depicted on Unsolved Mysteries is uh, the plane is going down at like a 45-degree angle, and there's like a green light kind of approaching from the top. And then they go behind this uh, – looks like a, a rock or a or a hillside um, mm. that, the, Did you under- that the anonymous witness uh, claimed to have seen. So they were kind of close to land then or close enough for spectators to be there? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that's my impression anyway. Um, okay. And then um, do you – I didn't understand one of the things. He said he was orbiting. Do you know – Yeah, and that's another puzzling thing. Uh, he's – the at various times it said he was orbiting the object and then the, or, the object was orbiting him. And I'll get okay. into that in a bit too. That's a source of speculation too. Um, but it sounds like the orbiting means that it's just basically messing around with him, like buzzing him like flying right. around him well, uh, i noticed it because he said he was orbiting so i don't know right. i mean unless he misspoke or if he was just circling around but i i don't know if that's like maybe a that's just an odd phrase i don't know if that's common with pilots or what you know or maybe maybe it's an australian thing i don't know i don't know but i when i picture orbiting i think of going around so i can only assume that's what he meant right. um and so i'm sorry to interrupt here no Grant, once again, there's no sorry. Yeah, I, okay. I regret it as soon as I said, I'm sorry, I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, I think it's important to note that, um, I'll say it again, Stephen Roby, the, the air traffic controller, said on, on Unsolved Mysteries, um, Valentic wasn't to the point where he was panicking, but he was sounded genuinely concerned about what he was going on, well, what was I going can, on. So, I can imagine understandably. Um, and like I said, there was... You know, they amounted a search, and I think it was about three or four days long. Uh, they had boats going all along the coast, and uh, there were nothing nothing was found. Uh, and then six weeks after the disappearance, amateur photographer Roy Manifold came forward. He claimed that on the evening of the disappearance, he had set up a camera at Cape Otway, planning to take pictures of the subs- of the sunset. So this was. Uh, Six weeks later, this guy comes forward saying that he had taken pictures on that very same day. Uh, and he took a bunch of pictures, and he explains this in the Unsolved Mysteries broadcast. Uh, took a bunch of pictures of the sunset. In the last photograph, there was a black spot in the upper right corner, and we'll post a link to it in the show notes. Uh, at first, uh, Manifold believed that it was a developing error. However, a photo examiner in Australia found no dirt or damage on the negative. 
the strange mark was determined to be in the photograph. American photo analysts determined that the mark was a metallic object, apparently in a cloud of exhaust. Now, this is also discussed on the Unsolved Mysteries broadcast, and it sounds like it was sent to American UFO researchers. Um, They mentioned that specifically. Uh, It was apparently – this object uh, was apparently a mile from the camera – but the guy, um, Manifold, the guy who took the picture, did not notice it until the uh, the picture was developed. So he didn't see an object and start taking pictures of it. He just took a bunch of pictures, and then this uh, one object appeared. Um, <clears throat> so can you see anything from the picture, or it's just like a black spot, basically? You can see it. I, I mean, I can. I'll send it to you real quick, if you'd like. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean. Yeah. Um, actually I sent it to your email already, uh, but, um, uh, and then here we go. Um, the American photo analyst determined that the object was apparently one mile from the camera. However, a second and more recent analysis determined that the spot was probably a developing error. Um, now we'll get into some theories um, about what happened to Frederick, Mr. Valentic. Uh, one theory is that Valentic was abducted by the object he encountered. Uh, another theory is that he was attacked by the object or became disoriented after seeing it and crashed into the sea. Others have speculated that he may have actually staged his disappearance. Prior to his disappearance, Valentic had made several strange comments to his girlfriend and others. Now, I was I was looking for comments that he made to his girlfriend and others. I couldn't find mm-hmm. any. This is all on Fandom uh, Unsolved Mysteries website. Okay. Uh, Valentic had also given conflicting information on the reasons of his flight. Hmm. Not sure about that either. Looked into it, couldn't find anything. Uh, finally, several people stated that he had been obsessed with UFOs prior to his disappearance. Okay. However, his family does not believe that he would disappear voluntarily. And they interview Valentic's father, Guido, in the uh, uh, in the Unsolved Mysteries broadcast. And it's really heartbreaking hearing this uh, older gentleman talk uh, about mm-hmm. his son, calls him Freddy. It's very, very sad hearing him. He said uh, – you know, he, he, Guido describes himself as very sentimental, and he still uh, the the way I understood it is he still drives Freddie's car, uh, and um, he still lived in hope uh, that his son would appear or would come back after all this time. And um, unfortunately, Guido passed away in the year two thousand, I guess. Um, mm. And uh, it's just really sad seeing. You know, a human face to something like this. I mean, I think it's safe to assume at this point that uh, Valentic's not coming back. And uh, hearing his dad talking about him and still clinging to hope was was pretty sad. Oh, I bet. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty tragic, obviously. Um, Um, Yeah, that that picture's uh, it's interesting. I mean, you can't. It's hard to tell. (laughs) It looks looks kind of like a smudge to me. Right. Looks like a. I'm no photographic expert, but it does seem kind of weird that that this kind of uh, photographic malfunction would occur on the same night, uh, if in fact it did occur on the same night in the same area where all this stuff went down. 
Um, doesn't it just doesn't seem to match what he was describing at all, too? Which is no, it doesn't. Same yeah. object, but um, yeah. Anyway, interesting. Yeah. Um, Valentic has since been legally declared dead. No trace of him or his plane was found until 1983, when an engine cowl flap from the same type of Cessna as Valentic's plane washed ashore at Flanders Island. The, the flap had a partial serial number on it that matched the serial number from his plane. While some believe that it came from his plane, it has not been conclusively determined, as other similar planes had lost the same part in the same area in the early 1980s. Um, okay. Recently, some – I hate using that word, but I'm just – I'm directly quoting from this website – uh, recently, some have speculated that he became the Valentic became disoriented after seeing a bright planet, the stars, or a meteor shower in the sky. Uh, another theory is that he became inverted mid-flight and saw reflections off of the water. This theory has not yet been confirmed. Um, I, I tend to not, you know, think of that as a possibility, like a bright planet, the stars, or a meteor shower. I mean, you can – just general human perception. You can tell when something is like a planetary distance away from you or whether it's up close, like very close. I just have a real hard time giving any credence to theories that discount this stuff, um, especially by pilots, as being a bright planet or stars or anything like that. Well, yeah, but at the same time, I mean, we've even – texted about it before when you see venus up in the sky which apparently is like the the object that is most reported as a ufo um you really can't tell like sometimes it seems like it's just a glowing object floating there in the sky you know yeah but Um, i've never once thought it's been 50 feet away from me or right right i mean it doesn't yeah those theories don't seem to match what he's describing at all um even if he's disoriented like he's he's describing some pretty specific things yeah um, so, uh, that is the, the unsolved mysteries slash, uh, fandom take on the whole thing. Uh, I would suggest you guys watch it. Uh, like I said, it's season, what is it? Season six, episode two, I believe. Is that what I said it was? Uh, uh, um, looks like, uh, season six, episode two. Correct. Um, now, I found an article about this case um, in Skeptical Inquirer magazine, uh, which good. is, yeah, which is, uh, as you can imagine, uh, a skeptic magazine, uh, which tends to find uh, to look for, uh, quote unquote, rational reasons for UFO experiences, paranormal activity, all that kind of stuff. So this is their take on it, and I'm gonna. This was this article was written by James Magaha and Joe Nickel. It looks like it was. Um, this is from Volume 37, Number Six, December slash November slash December 2013. Um, Fair so, enough. Yeah. So this is this is their take on it, um, and it is entitled. Were they, the, were, were they pretty skeptical or? You know what? They were inquiring and they were very skeptical. (laughs) But I'll let you be the judge. (laughs) I mean, I think that's that's pretty much my role in the podcast or how I come off on the podcast, too, is a skeptical inquirer. But well, that's uh, I think that's both of our duties. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay, Um, 
So it is called the Valentic the Valentic Disappearance. Another UFO cold case solved. All oh, right. Good. This is solved. Uh, I will let you decide if it's been solved or not. That's All good. right. Here we go. Tied it up here. in a nice little bow, huh? All right. <laughs> Quote, what did he see? The missing piece of the puzzle in a strange UFO case involving the crash of a young pilot off Australia has been identified. What is known as the, quote, Valentic disappearance, end quote, is a strange occurrence in the annals of ufology, one never satisfactorily explained until now. One of us, Nickel, was asked to look into the case for a television show, and he queried the other, Magaha, who came up with the missing piece of the puzzle as perhaps only someone who was both a pilot and astronomer could do. The story begins in Australia at about 1900 hours. 7 p.m., or shortly after sunset, 6.43 p.m., on October 21st, 1978. A young man named Frederick Fred Valentic, who had left Victoria's Moorabbin Airport at 6.19 p.m., was piloting a light engine, a rented single engine, no, I'm sorry, was piloting a light airplane, a rented single engine Cessna 182L, registration VHDSJ over Bass Strait heading southeastwardly for King Island. When what he thought was another aircraft seemed to pass over him, he radioed Melbourne Air Flight Service and spoke with controller Steve Roby. And then they posted the transcript, which I read earlier, so I won't go over and read that again. Thank you. Uh, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh so some versions of the – according to uh, Magaha and Nickel, uh, some versions of the transcript fail to match that of the accident report in important details. Uh, for example, instead of, quote, it is before me right now, one source gives, quote, it is coming for me right now. Uh, the communication ended at about 7, uh, 7.12 p.m. Although an extensive air, land, and sea search was carried out until October 25th, which I think was what – that would be four days – yeah, that would be four days after the disappearance. Um, no trace of the Cessna was found. An oil slick discovered on October 22nd, which would be the day after, uh, some 18 miles north of King Island, was not established as having any connection with Valentic's plane. The Bureau of Air Safety Investigation released its findings in May 1982, stating, quote, the reason for the disappearance of the aircraft has not been determined, end quote. But the outcome was, quote, presumed fatal, quote. So, suicide, question mark, staged disappearance, alien attack or abduction, drug runner shootdown, electrical discharge from a cloud igniting gas fumes. There were many, quote, theories, including those of, quote, psychics. However, none seemed to explain both the disappearance and the lights. To understand what happened, we need to look more closely at Fred Valentic, the pilot. Fred Valentic was a 20-year-old, inexperienced flyer with only about 150 total hours flying time and a Class 4 instrument rating, which meant he could operate at night, but only, quote, in visual meteorological conditions, end quote. He had twice been rejected by the Royal Australian Air Force due to inadequate education. 
Having obtained a private pilot license in September 1977, he was studying part-time for a commercial pilot's license. So I think right here you see one of the major discrepancies uh, that I'm diver I'm diverting from the article right now. This is my own commentary. Um, <clears throat> in Unsolved Mysteries, they kind of say they build him up to be a more experienced pilot than I think in actuality he was. One of the first right. things that I noticed is dude's 20 years old. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's been flying for two years, but I mean, let's be real here. A kid was he was a kid. He was 20 years old. He was a he was a kid for all intents and purposes, legally an adult. But I sure wasn't legally. I mean, I wasn't an adult at 20. <laughs> I'm almost 40, and I'm barely an adult. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that's a that's one of the things I noticed. About yeah, this. well, I mean, I I think they. It's interesting that this guy is familiar with piloting, as you know, I'm not. I don't think you are. Um, so he he can kind of put it in perspective what 150 hours means, and that he was, you know, he wasn't really qualified, like barely qualified to fly at night and whatnot. Right, right. I think. I mean, you think of doing something for 100. Say you do something for 150 hours. It's like, whoa, man, that's a lot. But I guess in the grand scheme of things, that's that's not too darn much in terms of being up in the air, especially. Right. Um. So as I said, I'll go back to the article now. Having obtained a private pilot license in, in September 1977, Valentik was studying part-time for a commercial pilot's license. Unfortunately, he had failed all five of his exam subjects, not once but twice. And just a month before, again failed three subjects. Further, his involvement in three flying incidents came to the attention of officials. Once he received a warning for having strayed into restricted airspace, and twice he was cited for deliberately flying blindly into a cloud for which he was under threat of prosecution. Wow. Yeah. And there are there there are citations to all of these in the article, which I will include, uh, mm. so you guys can see them for yourself. I will include these in the show notes. In brief, Valentic may have been an accident waiting to happen. Moreover, the young pilot was enthralled with UFOs, watching films and accumulating articles on the topic. Earlier that year, according to his father, Valentik had himself observed a UFO moving away very fast, and he had expressed to his father such worry. Uh, he had expressed to his father his worry about what would happen if such presumed extraterrestrial aircraft should ever attack. As we shall see, his deep belief in flying saucers may have contributed to his death, and not in the way some saucer buffs imagine. Hmm. Some thought Valentik might have staged his disappearance, but the evidence does not support that hypothesis. Nevertheless, Valentik did give two contradictory reasons for his flight to King Island. One, to pick up some friends, as he told flight officials, or two, to pick up crayfish. So I guess, I there we go, that did kind of explain one of the things. Uh, well, I mean, maybe he's friends with crayfish. <laughs> Good point, dude. Uh, however, these reasons were found to be untrue. Valentik had not even followed standard procedure to inform King Island Airport of his intent to land there. So what was Valentik really up to, in addition to wanting to log more hours of flying experience? Possibly he had decided to look for UFOs again, but rather than admit that, offered others more legitimate-sounding reasons for his flight. In short, he may not simply have encountered a UFO, but instead went looking for one. If so, his encounter is not surprising. As a, quote, true believer, observes Schaefer, Valentik was, quote, probably inclined to assume anything as a UFO if he could not immediately identify it, end quote. So what did the young pilot see? 
Having clear skies, he described four bright lights that he mistakenly, as he later admitted, first thought were an airplane's landing lights, that is, white points of light. They were above him, and, except for his own movements, seemed to be just hovering. Then twice, and quite correctly, he realized it was definitely, quote, not an aircraft. As it happens, a computer search of the sky for the day, time, and place of Valentik's flight reveals that the four points of bright light he would almost certainly have seen were the following. Venus, which was at its very brightest, Mars, Mercury, and the bright star Antares. These four lights would have represented a diamond shape, given the well-known tendency of viewers to, quote, connect the dots, and so could well have been perceived as an aircraft or UFO. In fact, the striking conjunction was shaped as a vertically elongated diamond, thus explaining Valentik's saying of the UFO that, quote, it's a long shape, end quote. So I'm going to divert from the article here for a second. I don't buy that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I, I really don't buy that. Uh, I, uh, I, it seems to be leaving out a lot that he described as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I, they get more into that as the article goes on, but, okay. uh, I just want to divert and say, I'm going to go on record here and I'm, I'm going to say, I don't believe in the, uh, the astronomical explanation of this, of seeing light just because the kid said it's a long shape doesn't mean that he is seeing uh he's connecting the dots between venus mars mercury and antares i don't see the connection to that and also the the greenness as well yeah um i mean like i said we my wife and i we i think i mentioned on the podcast we stepped out and saw venus and we were kind of Mm -hmm. blown away by it. we thought it was something hovering in the sky you know so i could see that especially with no um no landmarks to kind of judge it because we we i don't know you you know you hear it like when you stare at at stars sometimes it appears that they move and it's it's hard to believe but uh you know i kind of experienced it too so okay um but at the same time i i mean it's to say it's solved because there were stars in the sky seems a little well, i don't a little yeah, fishy to me. did you ever get the did the imp- did you ever get the impression that venus was orbiting you or that you were orbiting venus no no i did not <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess technically we are, but yeah, no, I know what you mean. Okay. Or, I think, uh, is Venus orbiting us? No. The horse is on Venus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. Please continue. Okay. Um, we don't do apologies on this show, Grant. <laughs> <laughs> Um, as to the uh, okay, back to the article. Quote: As to the UFO's other characteristics, the metallic or shiny appearance could have been due to the power of suggestion alone. Having connected the dots, Valentik would likely have gone on to fill in the area as solid, even metallic. We must remember that Valentik's impressions are those of someone who was confused about what he was seeing. The quote green light and quote could have been part of this confusion also. Remember. Valentik's first description of the UFO involved only four bright lights. He made no mention of that at that time of a green one. It could actually have been nothing more than the Cessna's own navigation light on its right wingtip. That green light, or its reflection on the windshield, could easily have been superimposed onto the UFO sighting. Now, again, I'm diverting from the article here. Uh, I'm not a pilot, uh, but I imagine that all pilots are trained uh, even in their first or second hour of flying, uh, to distinguish what a reflection versus a non-reflection is, even in like a Cessna, 
you know, mm-hmm. the Cessna being like a, a small, uh, I don't want to say it's not a high tech aircraft, but as far as like, um, I mean, uh, I assume it's not, it doesn't have all the bells and whistles that a lot of the other fancier airplanes have. Um, so I would like to give Valentic, even in his youth, the benefit of the doubt that he would be able to distinguish between a reflection and, um, right, right. And, uh, something I mean, that's actually a solid object. He would have really had to be panicking to be jumping to these conclusions. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, is, so is he implying that, uh, the, the author, is he implying that he looked at a light and he got like the little green spot like burned into his retina or something i and, don't know i don't think and so. then he's I, looking around he's like it's starting everywhere like everywhere <laughs> i look i don't know yeah it seems a little fishy there like well that's the oldest I mean, that's the oldest yeah. uf that's right up there with swamp gas in terms of like ufo explanation you know like uh the old the old green light and the retina trick right i mean come on now um but i mean i i again i haven't flown at night so i don't know maybe there can be disorienting things and it's hard to to judge your field of view and stuff. But, uh, it's, you know, I, I would hope that someone flying a plane is conscious of the glass and the lights, but even, even, a, even a relatively green pilot, such as <laughs> I, I had to, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, back to the article quote, a witness on the ground who described having seen a green light just above Valentic's plane had not mentioned that aspect of his story at the time. However, many years later, after the green light was made public, he, I, I guess meaning the witness, uh, he did mention the detail, but he is only identified by a pseudonym. Nevertheless, he said, in the words of his interviewers, that, quote, its color was similar to the navigation lights on an airplane. If the Cessna was indeed close enough to land, as to be seen by the man and his two nieces, there is a simple explanation that the airplane's attitude, a steep angle of bank, was such that its right wing tip was up, and so its green navigation light appeared above the Cessna. As the witness stated, the light was positioned like it was riding on top of the airplane, and it kept a constant position, according to the witness. But again, there are problems with the main witness's description. As his interviewers acknowledge, his, quote, recollection of the angular size of the airplane's lights is too large by perhaps several orders of magnitude. Incidentally, misreadings by amateur writers have now converted Valentic's green light into multiple green lights. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a there's also a citation for that. But These what guys about seems super skeptical, man? Well, they are, they are they are writers for skeptical inquirer. Right, so right. I, that's their job. You know, got, to, yeah. And you know what? I got and to be honest, I got no beef with that. That's their job. Right. And, uh, they're doing it. They're looking for earthly explanations, which I think we should all do. But um i skeptics just always sound so sure of themselves you know even i mean i've said that before so i respect all the research and and they're you know they're methodical and everything but you can uh, smell the smarminess you smell the smarmy coming off of this thing there you can almost hear them saying it in a nasally voice but that's just me projecting i guess (laughs) (laughs) somebody likes a skeptic yeah all right go ahead Uh, (laughs) but what about the ufo's movements when it was not quote hovering end quote it is now clear since we have identified the ufo as probably a conjunction of four celestial lights that it was not the ufo moving in relation to the plane but rather the opposite the plane moving in relation to the stationary lights there is actually evidence from the transcript that this is so after the ufo has repeatedly seemed to fly over him valentic says 
quote, what I'm doing right now is orbiting, and the thing is just orbiting on top of me, end quote. This points to what was really happening to the poor, inexperienced pilot. Distracted by the UFO, he may have then he may then have been deceived by the illusion of a tilted horizon. That can happen when the sun has gone down but still brightens part of the horizon, while, of course, the rest of it gets gradually darker farther away. This imbalance of lighting can cause the horizon to appear tilted, so that in compensating by, quote, leveling, unquote, the wings, the pilot inadvertently begins not to orbit, parentheses, circle, but to spiral downward, at first slowly, then with increasing acceleration. So to his credit, you know, the author of this, um, who yeah. is an astronomer and a pilot, uh, has a better understanding of, uh, of, of piloting than I do. But just in terms of um, common sense, man, I don't, I don't know. Uh, no, I, I think what he's saying makes sense. It also seems odd that the witness that saw the Cessna – said he was heading down you know which doesn't seem like a good thing to be doing right but, um, right at a 45 degree angle too from um right from what, um quote at a most critical time therefore when he should have been in fully alert mode paying attention to his instruments he was instead engaged in something that was extremely distracting flying while excitedly focusing on and talking about a ufo this as we can now see was a recipe for disaster with Valentic succumbing to spatial disorientation, his plane, like that of a young John F. Kennedy Jr. over two decades later, began what is aptly termed a, quote, graveyard spiral. Mm-hmm. Further corroboration of this may come from the pilot's statement that the engine was, quote, rough idling, end quote, just seconds away from his final contact. The planes moving in a tightening spiral would cause an increase of G-forces with a consequent decrease in fuel flow, resulting in the engine's rough running. Or, at that point, the Cessna may have already inverted, producing the same effect because that plane had a gravity-fed fuel system. Not surprisingly, Valentic's airplane going missing while he was radioing a UFO report prompted talk of extraterrestrials and abduction. Indeed, it spawned later reports of other UFOs, allegedly seen on the night of the Cessna's disappearance. These provoked a skeptical Ken Williams, spokesperson of the Department of Transport, to tell a reporter, quote, It's funny all these people ringing up with UFO reports well after Valentic's disappearance, end quote. Just a month after the disappearance, the pilot of another Cessna sighted the outline of what he believed was a submerged aircraft, but on another Passover, he was unable to confirm that confirm that observation. Now, thanks to Yeoman's work by Australian researcher Keith Basterfield, who rediscovered the, quote, lost, end quote, official case file, we have new information. As he explains, quote, parts of aircraft wreckage with partial matching serial numbers were found in Bass Strait five years after the disappearance. Fred Valentic's UFO has now been identified. That is, we can show that a group of four bright lights consistent with his description was within his sight at the time he was reporting his UFO. This is the long missing piece of the puzzle that awaited solving because the case required expertise from astronomy as well as aeronautics. The identification underscores the inescapable fact that the disappearance was simply a fatal crash. Ironically, it might never have occurred but for the young pilot's fascination with UFOs. 
if not actually the reason for his evening flight, as we suspect, the fascination, nevertheless, was part of why it ended tragically. We can now reread the transcript of the exchanges between Valentic and an air traffic controller with a new understanding. In our mind's eye, we watch in horror as, distracted and disoriented, the young pilot unexpectedly enters the, quote, graveyard spiral, end quote, that carries him to his death. And that's the end of the article. So, um, you know, just that's, that's a pretty interesting analysis. I mean, I agree. It's extremely in-depth and I have to commend, you know, skeptical inquirer, these two authors, uh, James Magaha and Joe Nickel for doing a, a bunch of research on it. Um, and I think it's interesting, uh, with the, uh, you know, the, what is it? Venus, Mars, Mercury, and Antares. Um, <clears throat> I kind of don't. I don't buy that. I don't mm-hmm. buy that explanation. Um, I think, realistically, it probably was just pilot error. Um, it's a. It's a. It's a shame. Um, mm-hmm. But I. It, it wouldn't surprise me if there was some kind of. Uh, I don't know some some other explanation that we just haven't thought of yet, in well, terms of in terms mm-hmm. of what caused the fatal crash. I don't necessarily think it was uh, a UFO, like an, an extraterrestrial UFO per se, mm-hmm. but I don't really believe the, the the just something doesn't ring true about the stars, the astronomical explanation. Explanation. Right. Um, what do you uh, think about it? Well, I'm interested to to listen back to this episode and hear the um, hear the transcript again. I mean, I don't want you to have to to read it again or whatever, or or even just to go read it after that analysis and kind of see how it matches up. Um, I thought it kind of skipped over some details that he was saying. I mean, I wish um, I I forgot his name, but the the pilot. I wish instead of, yeah, instead of. Um, saying that's not an aircraft like i wish you had given a little bit more details you know what i mean um because that is pretty mysterious like that could mean anything you would i mean would would he be uh embarrassed to admit like oh those are stars never mind i was confused or something like that but i thought i thought he said the lights were like flying over i guess i guess yeah and you know what account for that i'm gonna i will whiz through the 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 transcript again real quick just so you can get another i mean it's really i can read it really quickly so i, I um, mean one thing that that sticks out to me too well first off skeptics often jump on the fact that people are like into ufos to dismiss them as misinterpreting what they're seeing you know right which which makes sense up to a point but uh sure you know um the other thing is, uh, I would think if he was in a suicide spiral, that is a graveyard spiral. Yeah, a graveyard spiral. That is, um, I mean, they mentioned the G forces. I think he might be able to feel that, and he might uh, might say something like about that to the air traffic controllers or something, unless it was too late. But instead, he just mentions that his engine's cutting out. But if it is cutting out because of G forces or he was caught in a spiral, I think he might be able to tell that, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so here's just a quick recap. Uh, so you can hear it again after that analysis. Um, Valentic, is there any known traffic below 5,000 feet? 
Roby, no known traffic. Valentic, I am, seems to be a large aircraft below 5,000. Roby, what type of aircraft is it? Valentic, I cannot affirm. It is four bright, it seems to me like landing lights. The aircraft has just passed over me at least a thousand feet above. Roby, Roger, and it, it is a large aircraft? Confirm. Valentic, er, unknown due to the speed it's traveling. Is there any Air Force aircraft in the vicinity? Roby, no known aircraft in the vicinity. Valentic, it's approaching right now from due east towards me. It seems to me that he's playing some sort of game. He's flying over me two, three times at a time at speeds I cannot identify. That does Roby. not sound like no. stars to me. <laughs> it doesn't, man. Uh, Roby. I mean, would stars even really be moving if you're flying in a plane? I... I, I <sighs> It seems like if you're in a spiral, you'd see the stars and you wouldn't see them. Uh, you'd see the stars and you wouldn't see them. So I don't. I don't. Okay, if he's already I, caught in that, but uh, maybe yeah. Um, Roby, Roger, what is your actual level? Valentic, uh, my level is four and a half thousand, four five zero zero. Roby, and confirm you cannot identify Valentic. Affirmative. Roby, Roger, stand by. Valentic, it's not an aircraft. It is. Roby, can you describe the uh, aircraft? Valentic, it's fly- as it's flying past, it's a long shape. Cannot identify more that more than that it has such speed. It is before me right now, Melbourne. Roby, and how large would the uh, object be? Valentic, it seems like it's stationary. What I'm doing right now is orbiting, and the thing is just orbiting on top of me also. It's got a green light and sort of metallic, like it's all shiny on the outside. Silence for five seconds. It's just vanished. Would you know what kind of aircraft I've got? Is it military aircraft? Roby, confirm the aircraft Confirm the uh, aircraft just vanished. Valentic, say again. Roby, is the aircraft still with you? Valentic, it's uh, now approaching from the southwest. The engine is rough idling. I've got it set at 23-24, and the thing is coughing. Roby, Roger, what are your intentions? Valentic, my intentions are to go to uh, King Island. Uh, Melbourne, that strange aircraft is hovering on top of me again. It is hovering, and it's not an aircraft. Huh. Well, I would have to have that that author, the skeptic, sitting there and interpreting each line. Again, <laughs> I'm, I'm not familiar with – I mean, maybe it makes sense to him what all that he's describing and how that could just be stationary stars in the sky, but uh, – Seems a little confusing to me. Or the, the Cessna lights themselves. I don't know why the Cessna light would suddenly go out for him. but Yeah. Um, it, just the fact that he's um, – Roby described him as not panicking either, just sounding concerned. Um, and the, the, like, the fact that it, early on, fairly early on in the transcript, again, I don't have an accurate um, – uh, it looks like it might be about six minutes, uh, I, but I can't I can't say that with any degree of total certainty. Um, but early on in the in the exchange here, um, he said, you know, he's saying, "Is it a large aircraft?" And Valentic says, "Unknown due to the speed it's traveling." Um, that implies and in saying that it's long and he's flying over me two three times at speeds I could not identify. Um, it's a long shape that does not sound like stars to me and connecting the dots that just, especially, um, especially when it's not pitch dark outside, you know, right, it's, right. it's the, 
So yeah, it's it's hard to say, you know. I mean, yeah, I it's think, all I, interpretation. So yeah, I think in all actuality, the poor kid did did die. Uh, I don't believe that he was like Bermuda triangled out of there and like sucked into another dimension or anything like that. I think the poor kid. Well, ended even up after the UFO news. But, <laughs> yeah, I hate to say it, even after the UFO news, Grant. But um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, it seems like if he was so close, they'd be able to find the wreckage. But again, I don't really know how that goes either. Um, I guess he wasn't like air traffic control wasn't able wasn't like tracking him on any radars or anything like that. I I suppose so. I yeah, I didn't I I didn't find a lot of information about actual radar returns or anything. Um, I I I assume since a Cessna is flying out of it, it's not a major airport. Like it's not. You know, right. I, I don't even yeah, know if there is such an airport, but I assume it's not Melbourne International Airport or anything like that. I assume. Right. Uh, uh, but it still seems like they would have radar equipment, especially in, you know, the late 70s. I mean, it's not like this was in like the early days of flying where there was like the pre-radar era or anything. Um, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's, uh, a, so that's for, a mysterious one. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And uh, it what struck me um, was as I mentioned earlier, there's a senior PR officer for the Royal Australian Air Force who stated, um, you know, it was a really straightforward flight and he couldn't see any reason why it shouldn't have been concluded successfully. And uh, he said that he think it's it, he thinks it's one of the great mysteries of Australian aviation. And that was Ken Llewellyn. So uh, I think this obviously got a lot of um, – was a big deal in Australia. I remember it. It stuck out to me and I'm from San Diego, California. I remember it from the unsolved mysteries episode. So, Mm -hmm. um, I, I'd be interested to hear from some of our, uh, brethren in Australia about what they think happened or if they think this is all just a bunch of hooey or if, um, uh, if there are people who are, um, I just want to hear what, especially people in Australia, think about this case. Um, right. We know you're we we know you're out there, guys. So, uh, guys and gals. So, well, I have I've heard lots of rumors and you know secondhand that that pilots see strange stuff all the time. I mean, um, again, I, I bring up my grandma who saw a UFO herself, you know, but yeah. she was when she was telling me about that, she was talking about her her pilot friend that would tell her that. That he saw crazy stuff like all the time flying back from uh, I forget from LA to to somewhere um, and uh, yeah I mean I've seen that on whatever UFO videos on you know on uh, YouTube and whatnot but uh, that seems to be the rumor at least and uh, and up until recently you couldn't really you know you're afraid to report stuff like that too but uh, it's just such mysterious wording that that this guy used, you know, Volantic and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's a shame, you know, yeah. Either way, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry about the whole situation, but, uh, yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a really interesting case and I'd recommend, um, anyone who's, uh, I don't know how Amazon prime works, uh, in, uh, other countries in countries outside of the United States. Um, but I, I can tell you that the, the vast majority of unsolved mysteries episodes uh, can be found on Amazon prime. And I would highly urge um, if you're able to access it, uh, check it out again. It's in uh, episode six or no um, 
season six, episode two. All right. Well, uh, well, thanks, Tom. That was pretty interesting. You bet. Yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, I've, I've heard a theory. I don't know. I forget where I even came across it. I might've heard it on a podcast, a theory that he had become confused and disoriented and actually flipped upside down and then was seeing reflections of lights on the water. Yeah. Well, that's what I, I mentioned that earlier in this one. Okay. Uh, that was, that was mentioned in the, uh, um, in the unsolved uh, mysteries, yeah, and the unsolved mysteries one. But it seems, I, I mean, I've done, I've flown in a Cessna before. I've never flown one personally, but I've been a passenger in a Cessna. And when you bank in one of those things, you know you're banking. And yeah, if that's ups- a- and, it's, and if you're upside down, something tells me you would know you're upside down, as in like your head would bang on the roof of the thing due to gravity. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. it's not like there's an anti-grav generator inside a Cessna. Like, so. oops, I just realized I'm flying upside down. Although, if it had to do with, like, fumes getting into the Cessna and he's really confused or something. But, yeah, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm not a pilot, but right. I've been upside down on a roller coaster before. And you can you can usually tell, I mean, yeah, if you're uh, falling out of your chair. Yeah. But, um, cool. all right. Are we ready to wrap this up or what? Let's wrap her up. Keep, uh, Bring it again, home. yeah, uh, keep, uh, you know. Keep sending us your feedback, guys. We really appreciate all the all the likes and the five star reviews. Um, and uh, tell your friends about us if you like us. And uh, we uh, just hope you guys are staying safe. And um, we're all going to get through this together as a as a planet. We will. Absolutely. Well, uh, I love you guys. Thanks for listening. Love and, you guys. Uh, you know. Yeah, show us your love, show us your support. <laughs> I, I hate begging for that, but it really means a lot to us. So. It does. All right, love you guys. Mwah. <laughs> <laughs>